intro this shit. Do it. <laughs> hey, I'm Brandon Katz. And I'm Jean Bentley. And this is Must Watch Netflix Edition. Today we are joined by awards ace editor-in-chief and chair of Sunset Circle Awards, Eric Weber, to discuss the Academy Awards, Netflix's prospects, general Oscars pandemonium. Eric, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm excited, but I'm also ready for this to be over, right? <laughs> the, the exhaustion is palpable throughout the industry and very understandable. I mean, we were done. If you think about it back to last year with Parasite, it's it's been roughly, you know, two months earlier that we were, you know, put it to bed and we're already talking about the next award season. But this year we've extended it so long and it, it feels like even like this week will be better. We're just we just need to get this done so we can move on to the next thing. Hopefully they do <laughs> not extend it again. Because I even a month, like let's just stay, let's just crush it all up, right? So we don't have to keep talking about these films that I mean, a lot of these films that we're gonna discuss today are films that i saw you know six months ago maybe more and and that that the freshness has kind of been lost on a lot of these films and and that's one aspect and the other one is that you know as you guys know not a lot of people have seen some of these films so those are two of the issues you're working with with extended oscar season and this is coming from someone who loves the awards body in general so that's how you know everyone listening that we are we are reaching our breaking point here (laughs) All right, but before we get into our deep conversation, we start getting your insight, Eric. Gene and I, how about we we just kind of lay the groundwork so everybody mm-hmm. listening understands how represented Netflix is this year. And to start off, they lead all studios with 35 Oscar nominations. Mank, mm-hmm. which is a Netflix original, leads all films with tom- uh, 10 nominations. They are nominated in terms of Netflix as a studio in 19 categories, including the big ones, picture, director, actor, actress, supporting actor, supporting actress, and both screenplay awards. Wow. It's a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. It, but we, we discussed this on our Golden Globes episode, you know, a few months back is Netflix is in the in the we the nominations game. At the end of the day, I mean, sure, they want wins. Let's not be silly. But. They'll also take the crown of we have the most nominations, which they are repeatedly doing now. And to to be at this point where Netflix is kind of the award studio of note, right? The number one studio is is kind of crazy when you think about where we were, you know, before Roma. You were talking about a, a studio in Netflix that was just trying to get off the ground and get something going, and and now they are the they are the number one award studio, which is still for me really hard to say, but it's the truth. Yeah, well, and they have um, a ton of films nominated this year. Um, mm-hmm. Like Brandon said, we have Mank, which has ten nominations, including Best Picture, Gary Oldman and Amanda Seyfried for acting, David Fincher for directing. Then is Trial of the Chicago 7, which has six nominations, including Best Picture, Acting for Sasha Baron Cohen, and Screenplay for Aaron Sorkin. Then you have Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which has five nominations, including Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman. Hillbilly Elegy has two, and then one each for a long list of films that I'm going to read right now. Are you ready? Okay. (laughs) Creep Camp, The Five Bloods. Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga, Life Ahead, The Midnight Sky, My Octopus Teacher, Over the Moon, Pieces of a Woman, A Shaun the Sheep Movie, Farmageddon, The White Tiger, and Shorts, A Song for Latasha, and If Anything Happens, I Love You. That's a lot. Ooh, that's a lot. (laughs) That is quite a bit. So now as we dive into the specifics, to start off, Eric, 
I would love if you could help explain the preferential best picture ballot because a lot of my kind of casual entertainment fan friends who don't follow Mm -hmm. the industry like us still don't understand how the Academy actually votes on best picture. They still think it's kind of a a one for one system and it is far more complicated than that. It's extremely complicated and to, to, you know, make it as simple as possible. Essentially you're, you're looking at, all the films nominated for best picture. So the eight this year, and then what you're going to do is you're going to stack them in order of your preference. That's why it's called the preferential ballot. So, you know, number one, let's say on my ballot is Nomadland. Number two would for me probably be Minari. And then I would go sound of metal. And then I would, you know, push father up and you just go down the list until you get to your eighth strongest or, you know, the weakest of the eight. And for me, that would be Mank. So you would you would take that film and uh, if if it ends up, let's say as we look at a bunch of these preferential ballots, if if Mank ends up with the least amount of number one votes, it gets eliminated from it. Then they go back in again with the computer system and all this, and they stack it again. They eliminate the film that got the the second uh, least amount of votes, and then and then on and on and on until eventually you get to this number one. And what's interesting is I use preferential ballot. We used it this year for the first time for Sunset Circle our brand new awards group out here in Los Angeles. And it was really, for me, it was eye-opening to see how it worked. And we only had five members to start. And so when you look at that, you're looking at that, that you can see literally in real time how it stacks it and shows you, you know, this is eliminated, this is eliminated until you get to the winner. So uh, it's super complicated. I mean, that's as simple as I can put it, uh, but it takes, it's a, it's a crazy process. It takes a long time to go literally go through and make stacks of, of these ballots of these are the number ones, number twos. And so what you're really looking for at the end of the day is a film that is generally liked by everybody. That's the film that's probably going to do the best. Obviously, you want the one that's loved the most by everybody. That would be the one that's probably going to win. You, The films that are going to be divisive, those are going to be harder, obviously, to secure the win because they're going to be possibly at the top of some ballots and at the bottom of others. Just quickly, Eric, to jump in, would this system kind of prefer a consistent top three film? So a ton of critics have it in their top three as opposed to one that may have more number ones, but is a little mm-hmm. bit more eclectic. So some people have it one, some people have it all the way at the bottom. Right. It's, right. Is that how it works? Yeah. See, that this is why when you talk about a film, like I think there's very few people that dislike Nomadland. Okay, you can love it. You can, but it, t- I haven't heard many people say I really really dislike Nomadland. You have to pick something about that film that you like. Minari also fits that bill. Um, but again, Mank is the one that I come back to that I, I've heard people that really love it. Not a lot, but a few. And then you hear the majority of people are either neutral or lower on that. So that's obviously to, you know, exactly what we're discussing here is that's going to push that out. Mank, Mank has virtually zero shot of winning. I'm saying, let's make it zero. I mean, it's not winning. Calling so, his so shot now. I like it, Eric. <laughs> it's, not, it's not happening. Mank is not going to win Best Picture, which is kind of shocking. We all thought it would be, right? We thought that that would be possibly right up there. But based on the reactions to Mank, I, I would suggest that it's not happening. And I would put zero dollars on that if I were betting. Uh, conversely, I would take Minari and Nomadland near the top there. Uh, Promising Young Woman's a really interesting film too, because I think that's a divisive film as well. I think there's a, most people enjoy the movie or really, really like the movie, but there's some people that are put off by it. 
Um, I don't think it's as repugnant as I would put it, you know, all the way at the bottom of a list, but I could see that film being a little bit more towards the middle of a one through eight Hmm. than say Minari or Nomadland. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Well, my, my next question for you is, is this the year where Netflix transitions from like these prodigious nominations to mm-hmm. more meaningful wins because they clearly want this top tier, you know, gold, the, the top tier strategy. But, um, but, but they want, um, well, I said that weird. It's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying, I was trying to think about what I was trying to say and it wasn't coming together. But the question is, is this a year where Netflix can transform those nominations into actual statues in the big categories? Well, that's the the key. It's one thing to have, you know, the most nominations, but at the end of the day, you want that batting average to be higher. You don't want to be, you know, going, you know, batting a hundred. You want to be batting closer to 700 or something like that uh, for the baseball analogy. And so they're building there. And I think obviously that's their hope. I think if we, if we go through certain categories, we can say that, you know, the chances of Chadwick Boseman winning for Ma Rainey are extremely high. I mean, I'd put it in the 90% plus. I, I think that, you know, you look at him as the winner. Hopkins is is close. He just won BAFTA. But I think it, it really, it's it's Chadwick Boseman's, you know, final uh, goodbye with a win as best actor. So that's a win for them. You can start stacking those things up. Mank for production design. That's a win for them more than likely. That's the prohibitive favorite at 90% plus, I would say. Uh, and and there's, there's others, but those are the two that pop to mind right off the bat that these are wins for Netflix. Uh, I think that original screenplay is going to be an interesting one. You know, I still have Trial Chicago 7 as the front runner, but it's close. You got Promise Young Woman, just won BAFTA, it won Writers Guild, it, run, it won Critics' Choice. And, and, you know, so that's that's battling it. So th- I wouldn't say that's a lock by any means. And you look at Trial Chicago 7, that's a film that I think that that's their number one play. If you if you were to talk to Netflix and have them on the line right now and say, hey, what's your number one awards film? They're going to say Trial Chicago 7. And, and what's interesting is we could have a situation where it doesn't win anything. I'm glad that you mentioned quickly because we're going to come back to Trial of Chicago Seven mm-hmm. in a little bit. But I'm glad that you mentioned some of the front runners in terms of uh, Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and Mank for production design. Two Netflix movies. Because my next question was going to be, which of the major categories do you think they stand the best chance in winning? Now that you have kind of answered that, I want to pivot a second. How important is it to win? for Netflix's continued aggressive push into original films. It, it, it is important to, for again, to flip those nominations and turn them into wins. I don't think we're yet at the point where it has to happen this year. We're getting closer because, again, as we talked when we began this, you're looking at a studio that a few years ago was having trouble having voters come to events. I remember getting emails saying, please come to this Netflix event for Mudbound. And they had everybody. When I said, I mean, the entire cast was there and there was bands and there was food and there was everything. And they couldn't get people to come because it was Netflix. And people said, ah, oh, no, that's that's not an award studio. You have oh, no chance man, of winning. And the haughty film community out there. Oof, that's rough. That's right. That's right. It's, it, it's perception, right? So you say, uh, I don't know about Netflix, but now they're the cool kid. So they are there. I mean, they are 
they're successful, whether they win or lose a bunch of, of Oscars come Oscar Sunday, it's, it's more about they've, they've broken through. I don't think mm-hmm. that's even in debate anymore, um, that they are now, like I said at the beginning, the number one award studio. But yes, they do want to see those trans, translate to wins. That's, that's certainly the goal for everybody down there on the awards team um, for them to to get those wins versus have the most nominations and have the fewest wins. Sticking with the baseball analogy, it seems to be the difference between some nice singles and doubles and some f- certified home runs. Absolutely, and, and and that's right now. These are these nominations are are for them. They're, it's success. Okay, they're winning right now. But I think to your question about the the wins, if they don't have a, a pretty high number of wins. I mean, those two are pretty much done. I would say those are locks or very close to them. The number one lock on the board is Chloe in, in director, right? That's right. number one that that's not going anywhere. That's done and, and over. I would say Chadwick is right there at number two, very close. It, it, you know, those are really close as far as the number one lock, but, but I would say he's in, in production design for Mank. And that's, I, I, and that's Mank. That's it. Mank's not going to get anything else. I don't think if it get it could get score could, but I think it's soul. Uh, so, so I would say that's the next sort of spot that it could sneak in. So those two are really it. The other one that's interesting is my octopus teacher, which of course is a Netflix doc. And that's a documentary that has all of a sudden really caught fire. You're seeing it win. It's one of BAFTA. You're seeing these things come through. And I think what's interesting about that film is this year we had so many documentaries that were kind of heavy, right? We had yeah. we had the COVID documentaries, we have the social documentaries, and and while it feels like that's the year for one of those to win, maybe a film that's more of an escape, like My Octopus Teacher, is the pick. And I think right now I still have time as the 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 film that probably will win, but I would say it's really close to My Octopus Teacher. So and trust me, Netflix would be thrilled to get that because that has come from really far back to like, is it even going to get a nomination to a win? And, and yes, it's a documentary, but either way, that's a win for Netflix. Should it win Oscar? And I'm so glad to get your insight, Eric on air, but off air, I'm definitely coming back to you before I hand over my, you know, 50 bucks for my Oscars pool. We're going to, we're going to talk my man. You know, I, I, I think that it's really about this year's tough though guys i mean the truth of it is when when we're in the parties and you're talking to people and you're you know going to these events you get a real feel for the films that are going to win like last year with parasite when you start talking to people or you go to the events a parasite event and you just feel it you just feel the energy and you feel it surging this year you don't get that and we didn't have anything so i think this year is more difficult to forecast and I'm a little surprised Nomadland's done as well as it had, because if you, it has, has, as you look at where it's gone and all the wins it has, I didn't expect it to win this much. I thought it would win certainly some things, but not virtually everything on the way in. Um, and right now it looks like the prohibitive favorite as you look at, if you look at the sheer number of wins that it has heading into Oscar Sunday. Right. Well, I mean, speaking of that kind of, the places where you think Nomadland and and Chloe have have locked um, Chloe for director. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Are there any other categories where you feel like Netflix has kind of already lost? 
Yeah, uh, well, I mean, the one that they're certainly looking at is the original screenplay with Chicago 7 versus uh, Promising Young Woman. That's a very big one for them. They know that that's, that's a really close race, right? If if we're if this were election night, this would be right. You know, the margin of error is like a one. It's, it's right there, those two films. So that that's one that they're either going to get or they're, they're going to be super disappointed. I, I know they want that because, again, going back to what their number one focus is, it's Chicago 7. It has been. And, and, and proof is if you go to the Netflix building right there on Sunset, right outside across the street, they have a gigantic – it's not their building, but it's another building. And they put their poster of whatever they're pushing, whatever their latest project is, usually a film, but it could be a series – well, it just switched back to Chicago 7 just like two or three weeks ago. So they went back and reverted to Chicago 7 as, hey, this is our film. This is the one that we want to win Oscar. Could it still win Best Picture? Yeah, I think so. But at the same time, it just doesn't have that love for it, right, that you need. You just don't have that passion for the film. I see that as a film that as you stack a one through eight, it's at a three, four, five versus a one, two. And, and that's the difference between Nomadland and Minari. I think those films are further up the list, which are going to help those two films win Oscar over Chicago 7. Mm-hmm. Now, you've touched on it here. You've touched on it throughout our conversation. <clears throat> but I just want to bring up some cosmic coincidence because mm-hmm. last year, Netflix had two Best Picture nominees in The Irishman with 10 nominations and Marriage Story, six nominations. They wound up going one for 16 on those two movies, which is actually impressive in its futility. This year, as we've been discussing, Netflix has two Best Picture nominees, Mank with 10 and The Trial of the Chicago 7 with six, yet again. Uh, again, you, you have talked about the, the strategy now, but did you notice any difference in their campaign strategy this year as opposed to last year where they were definitely disappointed? And do you see the results playing out more favorably this time around? You know, it's interesting. I was, I was thinking about this, you know, early in, in Oscar season this year, which was, you know, forever ago, but we, we discussed how if you would have taken last year's slate of Netflix from the Irishman to marriage story to two popes, which is my favorite of all their films and take those films and kind of slide them here and then slide this year's films back, like just flip the year, right? Netflix has more wins this year because I think we all know this year was probably weak. You know, it's not weak across the board, like the worst ever. I don't think that's true. But last year was so strong, right? It was one of the best Oscar years ever. And you look at Parasite, which I rarely, and you know this, Brandon, I don't use the word masterpiece very often, right? It's it's very We are selective with that. Right? You can't just throw that. Don't even get me started. You can't throw that (laughs) word around. That's a, that's a film that I would I would place that word with Parasite. And and I think that's what made it tough. I think if you take The Irishman and put it this year, it has a shot at, at a bunch of things. Maybe even Best Picture. I don't know if it wins, but I think it's a lot closer than last year. Um, so I, I think that the strategy this year was different for everybody on that awards team because they didn't have the events. And in last year, I go back to all the Netflix parties that I attended um, from the Irishman premiere to Pope's premiere, a marriage story premiere to a huge event for the Golden Globes down at uh, one of these one of our really high end Italian restaurants down on Melrose that had like um, when I walked in, I walked into this Netflix party and I looked. It was literally like you bang into the most there's Robert De Niro turn. Here's Sharon Stone. Here's this boom. Whoever it was, it was it was literally Tony Collette. It was it was everywhere you looked was a star. 
those are the kind of things that Netflix was doing and they were looking forward to continue to do. But this year, as you know, we didn't get any of that. So it made it more difficult for them to try to, you know, align the stars perfectly for this. And also don't forget trial Chicago seven was very early, right? It wasn't a late breaking yeah. film. And was and supposed to be a Paramount film. Right. And you know, Hey, okay. This is what I'm going to say about trial Chicago seven. Thank you for, for mentioning that is that what's interesting. Here's how, here's how I, how I personally value trial Chicago seven as a film is if it were still a Paramount film, I don't think that it's even close in some of these races, right? I don't even think it gets some nominations. Don't get me wrong. I think it still does because of its timeliness, right? But as far, this is, this is what Netflix is all about now. When I look at Trial Chicago 7, I say, if that's a Paramount film, it's struggling to even get anything. Now that it's Netflix, it's almost overvalued. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to speak mm-hmm. for Gene here, but I do believe that both of us agreed when we did our pod back in October or whenever uh, yeah, Trial came out that we both thought it was good, not great. You know, certainly mm-hmm. a fine watch in a pandemic where we were starved for prestige content, but maybe not the culmination of Aaron Sorkin's writing and directing career that some were hoping for. Mm. Yes. Agreed. I, I saw the premiere over it. Uh, they had it at the Rose Bowl. Huge. When I, and it was one of the biggest events I've ever been to in the middle of the pandemic. It was when it came out in what, October. And, uh, and it was very clear that this was their number one film because they didn't do that with anything else. They didn't do it with Mank, which was kind of surprising. They didn't do that with Ma Rainey. They just sent links and said, hey, here's our film. But they really went out of the way to push Trial Chicago 7, which, of course, they purchased from Paramount for what? Brandon, you know better than me, maybe $50 million, or maybe it was a more than that. I, I believe it was in the 50 to $70 million range reported. Okay. So they said, hey, this is a perfect time for this film. And it is. It's timely. But but I think, again, for the film itself, I'm with you. It just didn't, it doesn't have, uh, it's just, for me, I didn't like the construction of the film. There's a number of things. But but I think that everyone kind of feels the way we do. We all sound like we're on the same page with Trial Chicago 7. I did. I met very few people uh, online anywhere uh, that, that had any major, you know, affinity for that film. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to ask about something that you also touched on a little bit before, which is Oscar campaigning. This year, the award circuit was very different because you're not going to events, you're not chit chatting with with voters, you're not you're not mm-hmm. talking to all the people. Um, how was the Oscar campaigning different this year than last in general? And then also, what is the key to Oscar campaigning? Because I feel like that's a very, that's a thing that your everyday moviegoer doesn't really get to experience. <laughs> well, listen, it, the, the, uh, you talk about uh, how you run a campaign and and you look at what happened today. I, I was literally kind of out of it, not really paying attention to what was going on on Twitter. And I get on and I see this thing that says, there's a controversy with Nomadland. I'm like, what? There's a con- what, what's, what the heck could the controversy be with Nomadland? So I look and it's an LA Times article about uh, basically, I, I couldn't honestly, guys, I couldn't even get through it because I was literally, my <laughs> eyes were rolling through the back of my skull. Like, this is insane. Basically, they were saying that it's, it's glorifying at some level working for Amazon, as you know, she works in the factory and, and glorifying kind of that, the, even the lifestyle. And I, okay, now we're reaching, but, but let me bring it back to why that's important. That is what happens every single year, right yeah. before Oscar voting starts. 
you have the studios that are behind and let's just say Netflix maybe you know says hey they they call their little sources they tell they put a throw a little line in the water and say hey you know th- what about that whole thing with the Amazon maybe we can get something started you saw it happen with Green Book too remember that whole thing is that you want to muddy it and and start the smear campaign and say oh this isn't this film's got flaws and it's not perfect and you shouldn't vote for this film and that's what we're seeing so that's part of the campaign too is that it's 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 essentially like junior high i mean these studios go after each other and they don't care they want to win win at all costs and these awards teams behind the doors i would love to hear some of those conversations because i know those are the conversations going on who can how can we attack this person and bring them down so the voters maybe feel guilty about voting for nomad land because it does glorify whatever the heck so those kind of things that's all part of the game that that these studios play because they know it's such a a big deal to win an oscar it's it's that's what netflix is all about right now they want to be winning oscars and putting them right there in the lobby when you walk in which they already have you know the ones that they've won they're all right standing as you walk in the lobby there they are and so that's their ultimate goal so they'll do basically whatever it takes to get it done as a king trash talker on the middle school bus, I would love to be in these mudslinging campaigns. I would be an invaluable asset. Hollywood, my services are for hire. I will come up with the most creative rumors and gossip you could possibly imagine. <laughs> but, I, I would, but when, when you read that, I, I'm sure you saw it too today. It, it, I just kind of, you know, when I saw the initial headline, I was, I was like, well, what did they find? Like, literally, I'm trying to think, like, what? Could they have found that 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 is you know Chloe? How do you attack Chloe? I mean, I just don't even understand. But but yeah, you, they, your services would be very much uh, desired in those rooms, those war rooms, because they, like I said, it's win at all costs, and 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 they will. And you're seeing it today. Uh, that's that's the result of that. Is how do we take our competitors down? So I don't mean to beat a dead horse in coming back to Netflix transitioning from nominations king to actually, you know, victories. But I am curious because I think success means different things for different studios and platforms. So I want to ask you, Eric, how much is an Oscar win worth to Netflix as opposed to, uh, you know, a more traditional studio like your Warner Brothers and your Paramounts or even a rival streamer like Amazon? Now, right now, it's it's hugely important to Amazon and to Apple TV, you know, their studios. It's 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 for those guys. It's everything because they're not they're not quite there yet. Amazon, I'd say this is the year that Amazon became an award studio. I tweeted that very early on because they have Sound of Metal. They have which which has done much better than even I anticipated. Even though I think it's one of my favorite films of the year, I didn't know because you still have that. That's oh, an Amazon film, right? Which we're over with for Netflix. We're not saying that anymore about Netflix, but we still are about Amazon, and I think it's over now. They have Borat, which obviously they ran, they ran that as far as I can even imagine. I did not even think that was an awards film. So the fact that they pushed it as far as they have, that's impressive. And then you look, I think Apple still has a way to go, but they're getting closer. Obviously, in television, they have Ted Lasso, one of my favorite shows, great show, and, and they've had a lot of wins with that. So you have to have those hits, uh, certainly for the for the television side of the thing. But even for the movies, it gives you prestige, which is everything. And uh, I would say that for Netflix, 
uh, the wins would certainly help. But I, I just don't know if they're as important. The wins are as important as as they might seem because I feel like we've already flipped that switch. I don't think there's any way we're going to unflip it. So I like think we're that past n- the tipping point in yeah, Hollywood that's hierarchy. That's correct. They're already we're here. So I don't think that they have to worry. That's why we when we talked about do they need to win? Yes, but th- if they don't win, they're not going back. They're still next year going to be the number one studio with the number right. one nominations. They have the most product too, right? I mean, they have so much. They have hundred original films per year. It's almost too much. I mean, it, I think that's one of the problems they are going to have as they go forward. Is it's too much content uh, for Oscar voters. It's easier for me to uh, deal with the Warner Brothers as far as I, I go. Okay, all I've got to watch is you know Tenet, Judas and the Black Messiah, maybe Wonder Woman eighty four for effects, and you know it's like four films. You know right. the way back for Ben Affleck. It's easy with Netflix. I'm like, oh my god, I've got to watch literally like <laughs> thirty films. I mean, that's a plan lot your for schedule carefully, voter. man. Yeah, well, welcome think, to our lives. <laughs> I know, listen, there, there's times that I even get lost. Like, I, so there's a new Netflix movie. Wait, what? It's for me. I'm still old school in that it's easier for me to deal with an A24 right, or a right. Neon where they're putting out one film every month or every few weeks or whatever. So Netflix, I think that's one thing they're going to have to address going forward is how to stress like these are our ten Oscar films, not our fifty Oscar films. Do you see? Yeah. Well, listen, to wrap this this all up, I want to know what changes you would make. Say you're you're the boss of Hollywood. You're mm-hmm. Mr. Hollywood. Um, actually, the Honorable Mr. Hollywood. Let's use the Honorable. <laughs> um, what changes would you make to the Oscars? They don't necessarily have to be big, but like what are some things that you can kind of quickly identify that you would like to see different? Well, a tight ceremony is, is huge. You, you need to have the thing move. You don't want to have drag. You don't want, you want to just have the thing humming along so that you, you're not bored. Uh, and I think they did a nice job by combining the two sound categories, right? They, they took both and they said, we're going to make one. I know that the purists don't like that, but at the end of the day, we, we really need to worry about keeping the general audience involved, not just the cinephiles and the, and the, you know, film business. We need to, the entertainment business involved. Yeah, they're already in, but we need to have the average viewer in, you know, Ohio or Florida or wherever that they are going to tune in to watch the Oscars. So you got to make it tighter. So I think that you need to lose a few things. I think the shorts for me would be gone as much as I think they're a wonderful art form. We, but at the end of the day, does the, average person watch those films no we need to think about getting more people involved by also as much as as much hell as they got for coming up with that whole you know popular film oscar thing that they had what last year or the year before uh that makes sense because you want to have an audience that is familiar with with these films and this year as we touched on at the beginning is some of these films a lot of them people haven't seen because they weren't theatrical, because none of them made, you know, 500 million to the box office or Joker last year, a billion and all these things. So that they need, you need to keep in mind that not everybody's a cinephile. The average fi- film goer needs to be represented at the Oscars. 
Makes sense. All right. Well, Eric, thank you for joining us, my man. If you guys want to hear more from him, you can follow him at Eric Weber, E-R-I-C-K on Twitter. You can follow his work at awardsace.com. You can follow at Sunset Awards to get involved with his new uh, film critic group. Eric, appreciate you coming by and, uh, you know, doling out some insight to us. Yeah. You got it, guys. We're almost (laughs) at the finish line. We're there. It's it's almost, we're ready to go. Let's go. Oscars 22, I'm ready. I already have it ready to go on awards days. So let's oh, let's flip the calendar and get moving. First, man. <laughs> <laughs> well deserved. No rest for the wary, yeah. And that has been Must Watch Netflix Edition. Rate and review us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, until next week, you guys. Boom. All right. That's how we that's how we record a podcast, everybody. All right. Yeah.